From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode. Or go to ipswichtoday.com.au Coming up, the Growth Infrastructure and Waste Committee's decision-making powers, major tender approved to improve traffic flow around Springfield Central, Ipswich Integrated Catchment Plan recommendations and eight Notice of Motions at the February meeting of Ipswich City Council. Also in this episode, you'll hear the wash-up from the Motorland Public Meeting with Mayor Teresa Harding. It's Friday, February 25, 2022, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. The February meeting of Ipswich City Council was held on the 24th. Mayor Harding, thank you for speaking with Ipswich today. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Alan. Let's kick it off at the end of the meeting where the notice of motions are normally tabled. Now, this term of council has seen a, a huge increase in the use of this option by councillors to bring various issues before a council meeting, some more meaningful than others. Is there a better or smarter way for councillors to bring their issues to a council meeting? Well, I think that the notice of the motion, personally, is a very effective tool. It provides every councillor, and, and can I just point out the fact that the, every councillor has been through the most rigorous job interview process that you can probably think of. And I think it's really really important for each council to have the opportunity to bring up notices of motion. Um, you'll find that usually with um, with all the notices of motion, the councils have usually done some work beforehand to try to get a resolution. And when that doesn't work, then they'll bring it to council. So I'm very supportive of the notice of motion provisions. The meeting procedures policy was brought in under the interim administrator. Uh, they are based on you know model best uh, meeting procedures. And I think it's really important in a robust democracy for us to have that opportunity to bring these these items up. And what about the review of the terms of reference for standing committees? Is there something there not working and why a mid-term review? It's actually in our our processes to review the standing committees annually. Um, The organisation did a a survey of councillors at the end of last year. I don't think that was the probably the most effective way. I think we'd like to sit down and have a discussion uh, in a more effective way. I think it's a really healthy thing for our organisation to review those. You've got to realise in council land, um, like the state and the federal governments have portfolios and ministers, those committee chairs are effectively, you know, leaders of that portfolio. So I think it's really good to have that review. We've been doing this for nearly two years um, just to see how we can improve things. So I... uh, fully supported, and it was a unanimously supported motion. Can we talk about the powers of the Growth Infrastructure and Waste Committee? Mm. Can you tell us why this committee was given decision-making powers rather than the more common, well, at least in the case of Ipswich, of committees making recommendations for the ordinary council meeting to decide? Yeah, the structure is now that um, the final decisions are made at the ordinary council meeting, and under that we have six committee meetings, and one of those is the Growth Infrastructure and Waste Committee, which, which I chair. There was a decision deliberately by council to give that um, that particular committee delegations to make those final decisions so they didn't have to go to the ordinary council meeting. We are the fastest growing uh, council and city in, in Queensland. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we could respond um, quickly and flexibly to any urgent issues and we have seen how we dealt with that with, with waste issues and so on. So we wanted to make sure that we were able to deal with things twice a month, not just once a month. So you see that uh, situation continuing, that growth infrastructure and waste will have the power to make a decision? 
I would like to see that continue on things. At the moment, everything that's been going to the committee has been for that final approval. There's a bit of a feeling amongst councillors that we would like to pull that back a bit. So some items will have the full delegation and a final decision will be made. But there's plenty of scope in there for a lot of other issues that have been coming to that committee for it just to be reviewed like, a, not, like other committee meetings. So that gives the public the opportunity to hear about it and then we make the final vote in, in two weeks' time. I think one of the great strengths of this council is that our committee meetings and our full council meetings have been live-streamed. That hasn't happened before. It's been, I think, good for our community. But can I just say, Owen, it's also been really good for our council organisation. I've been told by council officers that in the past when things were live-streamed, the papers went into the room, a closed session, they, and then they, at the end of the day, they got papers that were red penned and they didn't know the context of why decisions were being made. So it's actually, I think, been more a little bit more, you know, messier on the floor by seeing how the sausage is made. I actually think we're getting better results as an organisation to deliver, um, I guess, value for residents. There are a couple of major tenders approved at this month's council meeting, including item 16.2 for mm. reference, uh, the Springfield Parkway and Springfield Greenbank Arterial Stage 3. What will this mean for motorists? Yeah, this is a, a huge um, upgrade for us. It's the largest road upgrade project that councils have undertaken. In total, the project is $46 million. Uh, this particular contract was for $21 million and it went to BMD uh, construction and it will see the duplication of the road um, from outside Orion Springfield Shopping Centre, down past the new park-and-go facility for the train station, uh, and past the Brisbane Lions Stadium and down to the major roundabout. So, look, the road that's there now will be accessible during the whole time. There obviously will be some... Um, Sometimes the, 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 the traffic has to slow down, but overall, um, I think we'll get a really great result, especially the duplication of the of the roads there in one of our fastest growing parts of our city. Talking about tenders, has there been a change recently to some tenders presented to council? I notice it's not all, but yeah. some have been presented for approval where mm. the amount of the successful tender and the winning tender is hidden as a confidential mm. document, and then seconds later after it's approved, it gets announced. Does it have to be hidden at that point in time? Yeah. Look, this is a council that really wants to be open and transparent. So we have been, you would have seen from early council meetings, we were very um, insistent that council officers put the amount of money in the in the uh, front page, in bold, in the recommendation. So it's front and centre, not hidden in a back page. And, and who the successful tenderer was. Um, we have to get that balance of value for money and securing council's negotiating position. So we've just started implementing where we will the, the successful tenant of the tenant evaluation plan is confidential um, and we vote on it. And it sometimes, sometimes we go into closed session to discuss it. Uh, as soon as it's voted and approved, I will then read out this is who the successful tenderer is and this is how much the contract is for. So that way it's real a real-time disclosure and also that is also listed on our Transparency Integrity Hub as well. For at least the second time that I can recall in this term of council, mm. the Economic and Industry Development Committee has had no officers' reports uh, to consider this month. Are you concerned about this and... Should all committee roles and responsibilities be revisited if this committee appears to have a light workload? I think if you look at the load over the last 18 months, there have been some meetings that have had a huge uh, huge number of papers and there have been two, I think, in the entire time that haven't had office reports. Can I just say, as the, as the chair, the, the deputy mayor does a lot of work behind the scenes. Um, you only see a, a little bit of what the councillors do at the committee meeting, but um, uh, Councillor Jonick has been very active, uh, especially during COVID, making sure that, that grant programs, but other support. She gets so many calls from local businesses who are having a tough time and she's just been absolutely wonderful. So I'm not concerned. I'd be worried if the if we weren't providing, uh, if council wasn't providing support 
um, to businesses. And I'd be also worried if there wasn't economic development programs, that we have quite a range of good programs. And I think the DPM has done a tremendous job in leading that. Mayor Harding, this interview is being recorded the day after Council held a community forum on the issues surrounding motorland at Tuar. Do you mm. think the forum achieved anything? We went into this forum noting that we wouldn't solve all the world's problems. We thought it was really important. There was a lot of rumours and innuendo. It was really important for facts to be spoken. But more importantly, it was important for the residents, uh, motorcycle in Queensland and motorland, to have their views heard and heard in a respectful forum but also doing that, that to be done in a transparent manner. Council has always been um, very transparent with, with, with how things are conducted in council. So we, were, we actually had an outside facilitator come in to assist us with that. I know it went from, it was supposed to go from six to eight. I know I was there till just, just after nine. The feedback I had from residents is that they had the opportunity to give their view. It's a really tough situation. You've got a, a situation where the development approval back in 1974 was probably the most open development approval I've ever seen. There were basically no conditions. So um, basically says you can do motorcycle racing there mm. and, and nothing else. So um, there's frustration from the residents that um, the level of activity has dramatically increased, um, but there's nothing in the conditions of the approval to say that it can stop. So legally, um, you know, we've had um, outside legal expertise. I know residents, I had two residents tell me last night that they've also had um, legal opinion as well to say that it's not a winnable case if they, they took it to court. So we've got an operator that's operating within the law. So we've put on the um, environmental protection orders in line with the Environmental Protection Act at the most stringent way to make sure that we get a, a, a better, I guess, making sure that that tenant operates legally, but also improves the amenity for residents. It's a really tough one. Since we spoke last month, has Motorland offered any concessions on its operation to help reduce the dust and noise? Yeah, so we issued an environmental protection order um, to reduce the noise, but also reduce uh, the times that they can operate. So they were able to operate from like 6 o'clock in the morning. They can't do that now until 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, there's also mandated uh, continuous sound monitoring, as well as uh, monitoring of dust as well. Um, a lot of residents out there have uh, only have tank water. It's the only water they have. So the level of dust that's been flying around and going on their roofs and then flying into their water tanks is also quite high. But it's, the noise would have to be the number one thing that's that's really upsetting the residents. You know, to hear, you know, for the first couple of months, the the earthworks and, and the noise was going from six in the morning till after midnight. So it's, it really is um, not a, a tenable situation. So that the, the timings have been shrunk back, and we'll be monitoring that. And council will be following and enforcing and making sure compliance very closely on the on the tenant fee. For local residents and for others from the outside looking in, I, I guess it was a surprise to hear about the $11 million in rehabilitation costs when there was the proposal for Motorcycling Queensland to sell that site for a subdivision and move to Willowbank. Do you think the idea of Motorcycling Queensland selling that site and relocating out to the motorsport precinct can be revisited? Look, council's always open for it. We actually, I shouldn't say we, the previous council did offer a 30-year lease to Motorcycling Queensland and um, they then um, um, cancelled that. Um, the $11 million was the first time I'd heard that spoken of. I knew that um, there would be remediation work. Again, that is that is a lot of money. The view of the, the residents was certainly that they'd love for uh, Motorcycling Queensland to revisit developing the land there to make it rural lots. Um, look, I think at the end of the, the, end of the night... Uh, there was a discussion about how we could come together to form some type of 
good neighbour group or something like that. So um, residents can express their views, but see if we can have conditions that suit everyone. Motorcycle in Queensland found itself in a bit of a, a no-win situation when they couldn't sell it for subdivision. And mm-hmm. then there was the other surprise I wasn't aware of with the koala uh, overlay on that site. Yeah. So really, if the whole thing can be revisited, it would make sense for them to vacate the site and get to Willowbank. It will, and it always comes down to money, Alan. Mm. You know, to, to move across Motorcycle in Queensland, which is a membership-based organisation, um, which is owned by, I think, uh, 73 uh, motorcycling clubs around Queensland. Um, you know, it will cost a certain amount of money for them to set up somewhere else. Um, but, you know, they also acknowledge the fact that the urban encroachment is such in southeast Queensland that they do need to move. It was also raised that during a parliamentary inquiry in August last year that most of Queensland themselves said that the, the site there is, you know, not future-proof. So, um, yeah, so it's not, not black and white. I just want to make sure that everyone has a chance to have, have their say and work on a solution together. On to another issue. Council made a decision on the 9th of December last year mm. to remove the Pasali name from a bridge and road. You've asked the community for suggestions for new names. How many have been received and are there any clear front runners at this stage? <laughs> yeah, so um, the council decided to, um, to enact our policy, which meant we had to go to the landholders to see uh, what their view is. If the landholders said, no, we don't want to change it, that wouldn't have changed. It would stay, stay the same. But um, 75% of the landholders did say, so we didn't have any landholders say they didn't want the, the name changed. So we've now kicked in that policy. So far, we've received, um, as of yesterday, 847 um, suggestions from the community. I won't say who the front runners are purely because I don't want to, um, I guess, bias any outcomes there. But I encourage people to go onto Shape Your Ipswich or onto our Facebook page and have until the 18th of March to, to give us feedback. And when will council make the final decision? Yeah, so that'll be collated. The long list will be released. On the 8th of April, there'll be an opportunity to comment on the long list as it closes, and it'll come to the 19th of May council meeting. Sticking with the February council meeting, there's an item on the agenda that keeps getting deferred and kicked down the road again, Mm. uh, delaying a decision. And I'm talking about the updating of the media policy. What's the holdup for what looks to be a reasonable rewrite and update of the policy? At the moment, the policy only allows myself and the and the CEO to be official spokespeople. It does allow the councillors to speak on any matter at, at any time. And if it's in a council position, there's not a problem. And if it's a personal opinion, they just need to say, my personal view is that. So the policy is quite open in that. But when you're the official spokesperson, you actually have the, I guess the organisation will help you with some of the media there. My personal view, Alan, is that every councillor should be an official spokesperson. And you'll see with all the media releases that you probably see that um, most of the media releases come from the councillors, either as divisional councillors or as committee chairs and, and deputy chairs. Um, I think it's really important that all the councillors are heard. So we're wanting to get that right. So there's a few little things we're trying to nut out and also working with the organisation to get a, a really good policy and procedure in place. Well, we'll look to March's council meeting for a uh, final decision, perhaps. Yes, yes. <laughs> hopefully. <The laughs> no Ips- promises. Yeah. <laughs> Let's finish up with the Ipswich Integrated Catchment Plan, which lists 68 recommendations. This all came off the back of the 2011 flood, the Flood Commission of Inquiry. Now, flooding is a fact of life for low-lying areas along the Bremer River, especially the canyon section, as it's been described through the Mm -hmm. CBD. And in a major flood, the Brisbane River impacts Red Bank, Goodna and Gales. What can council change to, in future, help reduce the flood risk? Good question, and there's not a simple uh, one one line answer to that, and that's why there were 68 recommendations. 
Look, this is the largest flood project that's ever been undertaken um, by our council. And I want to thank the, the state and the federal government for contributing. The, the project cost um, $347,000 and we received grant funding of $190,000, 50-50 from the federal and state government. Um, it's taken two and a half years. And there'll be a number of things we can see which suburbs are more impacted, like Goodna, Ipswich, North Bavale, Bundamba, One Mile, Leichhardt, Churchill and Brassel. But it also means what can council do? We did look through this through six lenses, I guess. Uh, the land use and planning, what can we do there? As well as physical mitigation. What can we do to increase community awareness and resilience? Um, our own emergency management. Property actions like building materials as well as the current and future flood risk. So I guess we look at how can we improve community resilience you know, we are a river city, so we are going to get those those floods. And you can see the, the weather today that we're, we're waiting to see what happens there. But also, there may be some things that we work on, for instance, do we um, make recommendations or put special requirements on building materials for new houses? So there are some recommendations around that, So, which case we would lobby the state and the federal government to make changes in the National Construction Code to make sure, make sure that the building codes and and planning schemes are updated to make sure that the homes are more resilient. I think one other very important fact, and I'm speaking from personal experience here mm. in, in 2011, is that so many people didn't believe it would flood or even get half mm. as high as it did. Are there any measures contained there to, to educate people of where the flood risk really is? Well, that's been a continuous program, I think, by Council since. 2011 to improve that that education and 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 so on and in like last year with council we did a special uh, work with, with Peter Tully and um, and the University of Sydney on disaster um, management and and recovery and and recovery uh, for people with disabilities and, and seniors because mm. they have special needs as well so it's a matter of how do we help our whole community one thing I think was interesting that's never been re- looked at before but there is um, some discussion there, does council do property buybacks? And this is something that, that's new. So it, it, we will be asked to look at, are there some places where house, houses flood regularly and the risk is actually intolerable? So that'll be, I think, probably quite contentious and council will do that in a very open way and we'll be done with consultation, but it, it is something that we do, do need to look at to look out for our reserve. I, I agree with that because Brisbane City Council has had a similar program over the mm. years and it would be for the the most vulnerable of those houses, the ones that flood with just a drop of rain, as it were. A lot to consume there uh, with the Ipswich Integrated uh, Catchment Plan. And on that note, Mayor Harding, thank you very much for talking with Ipswich today. Thank you for the opportunity, Alan. really appreciate it. A reminder, you'll find handy links in the show notes, including Council's February meeting and the Motorland Community Forum. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au and click the Donate button on the homepage to make a payment through PayPal. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio and Amazon Music Podcasts. Or play Ipswich Today from smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.